Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. Love and care for people who are going through difficult times. So, well, um, so this morning we're starting a new series, and I'll tell you, I'm a little, I'm like nervously excited about this series. Um, it's one of those uh, series that I feel like we're going to get into the thick of it a little bit. It's uh, going into 1 Corinthians, it's really a book that's all about, like, what does it mean to be a healthy church? And I'll just tell you that Paul leaves no stone uncovered, and so um, there's going to be a lot in this uh, series that I've, pr- like, I've been praying through and thinking through, what does this look like for us? And so the first week, we, we start off with uh, talking about getting along. How do we get along with each other in the church? Now, I don't mean to brag, but I feel like I'm pretty easy to get along with. Um, I feel like I, I'm pretty easy to get along with, but that has not always been the case. Um, so my junior year of college, I had a roommate named Dan, and uh, I had lived, sophomore year, I'd lived in a house with five guys, and it was crazy, and I did not want to repeat that, and so I had a guy named Dan call me up, and his parents had just bought this house in town, and it was just him, and he, he just wanted to find one roommate, three-bedroom house, big yard, in college, it's like, this is the hookup, this is what I've been waiting for, and so I said yes, you know, and so I, I uh, I'm now roommates with Dan, and what I found out very quickly is Dan and I were very different people. Um, Dan is what you would call a type A personality. Um, he went to school full-time during the day and then worked from 4 p.m. to 2 a.m. at a cabinet shop. Um, like, he had no time for people. It was work and school, and then on the weekends, he would get up at 6 a.m. and work around the house and the yard, and uh, like he was just a go, go, go kind of guy. On top of that, he kept all of his spaces really neat and tidy. Um, Now, if you know me at all, you know that I am not a type A personality. I I am very, very type B, and um, you know, I had no problem taking less ambitious jobs uh, in college. In fact, I took a job where I was uh, literally would sit in one place and count traffic for three hours. Like that was the job that I was taking, a traffic survey in college, and my spaces were not neat and tidy. They were pretty messy, and because I cared more about people than about keeping my stuff clean. Um, and, and this created some tension in the house. You know, this created a little bit of problems. And, and you know, I was constantly having people over, and Dan was, like, just kind of bugged. And, uh, you know, my room was a mess. And, um, you know, and I began to notice that Dan was getting more and more frustrated with me, and I couldn't figure it out. And so one of the things we did, because we were college students and we thought this was, a, you know, a good way to save money, is all through the winter we had no heat on. You know, that's like a real college guy thing to do. Who needs heat? And so um, I had a friend over, and I was kind of cold, and so I just turned on the top burner of the stove, and I was just like warming my hands, 
And Dan got so mad. He's like, hey, you should just turn, you know, turn on the heat instead of wasting our gas. Or I don't know, I don't remember what it was, but, you know, we just didn't get along with each other. And uh, things didn't suit, improve that much as the year progressed. We'd end up being roommates the next year. Um, but just we had a very type A personality and a type B personality in the same space, and it just didn't work. All that to say, I wonder if we ever feel that way in the church. I wonder if we ever feel frustrated with the church. Like, seriously, God, these people? Um, I'm stuck with these people? You know, you ever have people, I mean, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, but you ever have people that you, like, don't connect with at church? Of course, we do. And so the question we're going to tackle today is that are we getting along the way that God wants us to? Are we getting along the way that God wants us to? When I read about God's heart for his church in scripture, what I see is it's a church that is profoundly united. Jesus prays in John 17 that we may all be one, just as he and the Father are one. Like, that is extreme unity. And he prays it that we would be, he prays this in verse 23. He says, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one so that the world will know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. He, said, he asked, may they be perfectly one. Can I ask you, does the church today, and I'm not just talking about our church, but just the church in general, does the church today feel like it's perfectly one? No. no. You know, are we living in a type of unity that can only be, uh, only be explained by the power of God? You know, and I think if we're honest, like, we can, we can say no, and it's kind of sobering. And so this week, we're starting this series called Hey Church. And so for part of this year, we're going to walk through the letter of 1 Corinthians. Um, and, and again, this, this letter is really addressing church health. What makes a healthy church? What are the issues that we need to address in order to be the church that reflects the love and the unity in Jesus? And so Paul wrote this letter to the church because he had heard reports that they were getting off track. Um, they were fighting with each other. They were excluding each other. They had lost their way, and they were, they were badly representing Jesus. See, Paul had originally planted this church in Corinth with a couple named Priscilla and Aquila, and they worked together in the same trade. They were tent makers. And so for 18 months, Paul worked and he preached. And out of that came this church. In Corinth. And Corinth was a very wealthy city in Greece. It was also a very pagan city. And there was a lot of, um, a lot of stuff going on in Corinth. And so after, you know, Paul spends 18 months in this city and this church is born, he leaves and he goes and starts this other church plant in Ephesus. And he's there for three years. And while he's there, he gets a letter that says, that, hey, the church in Corinth, things are not going well. And so he writes this letter. He finds out that, you know, in Corinth, the church is struggling with divisions and cultural confusion and immorality and all these different things. And so he writes this letter to correct them in love. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is to correct people. Sometimes that's the most loving thing you can do. I've grown more through people just being blunt and honest with me um, than when people held back and just tried to be nice. So, um, so if you want to send me angry emails, would love that. No. I actually haven't gotten many, so I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but 
Um, but Paul, so what Paul does is he addresses this laundry list of problems in the city, in the church in Corinth, infighting, division, um, sexual immorality, food and alcohol, legal issues, differing views on worship, differing views on spiritual gifts. Like he just goes down the list. And so many of these things are still struggles in the church today. We're still fighting these things today. You know, they had a church that was gathering together, but they weren't getting along. And so here's how I would sum up the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth was a church with problems, a.k.a. a church. You get that? Can we agree that every church has problems? Every church. Have, has anybody here been to a perfect church? If so, I want to know where it is. I want to go too. Um, as long as the church has people, it will have problems, right? As long as the church has people, it will have problems. And my whole life, I've, I've read books from all sorts of different people who want to fix the church. You know, I've read so many different books about what the ideal church would look like. I'll go down the list. Just in the last couple of years, I've read Organic Church, Church 3.0, Church in Hard Places, Disappearing Church, Reappearing Church, Center Church, Barefoot Church, Total Church, there's so many books out there. There's so much out there. This is what it looks like. You know, and everybody has a take on what's going wrong with the church and how to fix it. And there's a lot of great wisdom in there, but will we ever really get the church right this side of heaven? I don't think so. The church is going to be messy because people are messy. I'm messy. Um, obviously, ask Dan, my roommate. Um, you know, the church will be perfect one day. Um, it will be, but that's when we'll be reunited with Jesus in the new heaven and the new earth. But in the meantime, every church is imperfect. And so we have to continually work together to correct the things um, that come up in the, in, the, in the life of the church when we get off track. We have to be okay with correction. And so Paul writes this letter to help bring back together this divided church. And the reason why the church was divided is that they have, they'd received the gospel. They had made Jesus their Lord, but then they looked at their culture, and they had two very different responses to how to engage with their culture. And they had basically split into two camps. And um, Craig Blomberg, uh, he's a scholar, he labeled the two camps the deniers on one side and the indulgers on the other side. The deniers and the indulgers. Both sides called Jesus their Lord. Both sides called themselves disciples. But they were split on how to live out their faith in their crazy culture. And just to give you a framework for the culture that they were dealing with, Corinth was a city that was shaped by wealth. It was, uh, it was surrounded by water. So it was this major shipping port, a lot of wealth coming in and out of this town. Corinth was also a culture that was shaped by sex. Like if you know, if you studied Corinth, it had pagan temples dedicated um, to Aphrodite and uh, Greek gods where they had priests and priestesses who doubled as prostitutes. Like it just, sex was just all over this city. And then Corinth was also shaped by philosophy. It's in Greece. And Greece, you know, is sort of like the the birthplace of philosophy, and so you had all sorts of different thinking, all sorts of ways of life, religion, and so, and, and so it was sort of an intellectual place, 
but you, it's just this smorgasbord, right? It's just this crazy culture. And the church in this culture became dramatically confused. Like, what do we do? How do we live in this culture? And it had really pulled them off track. And so they were, they were in these two different camps, the deniers and indulgers. And I made a little, little chart. I don't usually make charts, but I made a chart for you guys. Um, so this is sort of what they, uh, you know, what they were divided into. You know, the philosophy of the deniers was moralism and high standards. For instance, like, okay, sex is a problem in this city, so guess what? No sex, not even in marriage. Like, you know, it was just deniers. Like, how are you stay away from everything? You know, the focus was more on God's judgment, like God is going to judge the world. And so their view of church is like church is a bunker that you hide out in from the world. It doesn't connect. We just, we do our own thing. We keep to ourselves. So on the other side, you have the indulgers, and their philosophy was more hedonistic, more pleasure-seeking. You know, their behavior was, ah, just give in. Whatever the cultural narrative is on these things, just give in to that. And so their focus became God's grace. Like, God's grace is so big, it can cover anything. We can do what we want to do. And so their, their view of church is like, church was like a bar. You know, they would actually go to church and get drunk on communion wine. Like, it was just a party place, another, another place to just have fun. And so you have, imagine you have these two groups of people in one church. Like, how, what do you do with that, you know? Um, So these two groups got together, and it was just a big mess. Sparks were flying. And so Paul writes to the moment. He writes to the church, and this is what he says. And I think the way he opens his letter is, is shocking. He says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to, do, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's shocking to me about this is what he says they're called to be. They're called to be saints together. They're called to be saints together. They, he's, Paul starts by reminding them who they are. He calls them saints. Even this crazy group of people, Paul's like, you're saints. You're called to be saints. You know, did Paul know what they were doing? No, but they are saints because they've received Jesus. And so Paul is just calling them back into that identity. Don't live in the old way because Jesus has made you a new creation. He calls you saint. And Jesus has called you not just to be a saint alone, like a vigilante. He's called you to be a saint together in the community of God. So as we start this, and about getting along, the truth is sometimes we forget who we are. When I moved from the Salem area into Portland a long time ago, I remember, like, we really liked Portland, and my wife and I really liked hanging out in Portland, but we were more comfortable in Salem for some reason, so we'd go and, and hang out down there sometimes, hang out with our old friends, and I remember I was going into work one day, one morning, Monday morning, and we were all talking about what we were doing, and I mentioned that um, I'd been hanging out in Salem that weekend, and Salem is a lot less cool than Portland, you know, and, uh, and I remember my friend Sam, he's like, bro, you don't need to hang out in Salem anymore, you're Portland now, you're Portland now, okay, you don't need to go there anymore, 
you're, you're, you're cool now. You're a Portlander. Just hang out in the city. And sometimes we struggle to make a similar identity shift when we become Christians. You know, we're used to being in the world and being like everybody else in the world, everyone else we're around, and God would say, hey, you don't need to go there anymore. You're Jesus now. You're a Jesus person now. You're called to live this life on a whole new level. You don't need to go back to Salem, you know, or wherever, you know. Salem's great. Sorry, if you're from Salem, I, I love Salem, so, um, obviously. But, um, but you're called, we're called to be together in the body of Christ. We are Jesus people. He has bought us. He has labeled us. Like, we are Jesus people, and we've been called not just for our own good. You're, you're not called a saint just for you. You're called a saint for everybody else. We're saints together. And so Paul continues. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Paul says, you're Jesus now. You people are Jesus now. Jesus is your Lord. Like, he's going to sustain you. We just talked about that last week in, in our last series about God being our refuge and sustaining us. Like, it's the same thread. God will sustain you. So God's, Paul says, remember, you are Jesus now. You are Jesus' people. And he runs down this list, and he says, this is your identity now. You are empowered by God. You are a people empowered by God. You've received all the speech and knowledge you need in Christ. You have the truth and knowledge of Jesus. You're a people that have been given every spiritual gift. You, you, each person has a different gift in the body, and together we have everything we need to build each other up. You're a people living for the return of Christ. You have hope. You have hope that the world is going to get better because one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And so we have this eternal hope that we're living for and trying to point others to. That's our mission, is to point others to the hope, uh, the hope of eternal life. And you are a people that God will sustain. That is so important. Like God will sustain you. God will keep you going. He's promised to see you through till the end. And so Paul is saying, like, if you are saints together, you have everything you need. So why go back? Why go back? You have everything you need. Why allow culture to come in and confuse your identity, turn you against one another? After sharing all those reminders of who they are, Paul then makes his appeal. Now he gets to his appeal, what needs to change, and he says this. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, you, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. And what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Important question. Is Christ divided? 
was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? And then he sort of ends on a kind of personal note. He said, I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you are baptized in my name. I did baptize, he like goes into his head here, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. <laughs> for, I love that, like, I don't know. It's in the Bible. I love that, man. Forgetting, it's in the Bible. Um, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So Paul is saying, hey, in light of you being called a Jesus person, get along with each other. Like, get along. All of you, he says, all of you agree. This isn't a get along because I said so, I'm going to pull the car over. You know, this is a get along because look at who you are meant to be in Christ. You have all of this going for you. Why get lost and locked in on these small little battles? You can change the world when you get along. You literally keep people back from knowing Jesus when you fight with each other. See, we see that people had split because they were listening to all these different teachers. They had all these different camps that they, had, they were kind of defining themselves by. Instead of, instead of pursuing Jesus and what they had, they, they were defining themselves by the people they, they listened to or they liked or they tried to imitate their style. You know, each teacher had a different style and things they liked to emphasize. And so it led to this quarreling. You know, you can think about different teachers emphasize different things, and so they started making those things the things, and they just started quarreling and forgot who they were. They were fighting among themselves. Maybe it was like a my church is better than your church type thing. I don't know. But Paul asks this really important question, is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? You know, I've seen Christians argue over a lot of silly things. Um, I've been in rooms where people argued about which attribute of God was most important. Like, they're all important, right? They're all important. Are we supposed to pick, like, what parts of God we like better? No. And then when we fight each other, you know, and, you know when we fight each other and, or compare ourselves to the other churches, that's when we lose. We lose that identity, that greater purpose. You know, if you think of the church less like a bunker and less like a bar and more like an army, like we're all fighting the same battle. We're all on the same mission. It doesn't make sense for us to put down other battalions that are fighting the same mission that we're on. We're all on the same mission, and it's an urgent mission. Like saving the world is an urgent mission. Of course, we do need to be discerning about teachers and leaders. Um, we need to make sure we're not following, like, the false gospel, and that's why we need to be in the scripture so that we can know, okay, like, uh, we can know a false gospel when we hear it. If we reduce the gospel to judgment only, or grace only, or Jesus as a means of prosperity, like, that's a false gospel. If your pastor has $6,000 sneakers, watch out. Uh, I don't, so... Uh, I'm good there. I'm good there. Um, but here's, here's th that is an actual thing, unfortunately. Um, but here's the point. Here's the point. Fighting happens when we forget who we follow. 
fighting happens when we forget who we follow, if we forget that we're following Jesus, if we forget the calling and the mission he has on our lives, and we end up focusing and fighting on the smaller things. We can, we can give up our lives to smaller causes, and Francis Chan put it this way. He said, we can fixate on strange peripheral things when we lose sight of mothers who are watching their kids starve to death. We can complain when we forget we have brothers and sisters being cruelly tortured in prisons right now for the gospel. We have a tendency to argue and divide over trivial matters when we forget that hell exists. I got strong language. But if we believe in Jesus, there isn't any greater mission. There isn't any greater calling. There isn't any greater identity that we can have. And so we have to examine ourselves. Like, are we living? Are we about what is truly important? And when we forget who we are or what we're about, when we fight, we, we can fight and squabble and uh, argue about little things. And I don't, I don't live in a bunker, okay? And so, like, I am probably, with most of you, well aware that, like, politics are sharply dividing our culture right now. Like, it is crazy right now. And, I, and what's sad to me isn't that politics is dividing our culture, but it's, it's sad to me that politics is actually, like, working its way and dividing the church into two camps. A lot of people are consumed with what's going on. And um, a guy named Mark Sayers talked about how we've moved in this country from having political viewpoints to political religions that we so f uh, firmly hang on to our political beliefs that they actually like make up a huge part of our identity. And I think we need to examine ourselves. Like, are we being shaped more by what's going in the political world than we are by being shaped, or are we being more shaped by Jesus? Are we being, are we being shaped more by theology or more by our politics? See, what Paul calls the church to, he says, have the same judgment and the same mind. One church. Same judgment and same mind. That doesn't mean that we all need to have the same political opinions. But what does it mean? What does it mean? Because we, we aren't robots, right? We all have independent thinking. But what it does mean is that we need to allow Jesus to form our thinking. For him to be the primary thing. That the truth about Jesus, he must be the primary lens through which we see the world. And that's how we get to agreement, when we can decide that this mission is the most important mission. Because if Jesus is primary, then everything else becomes very, very secondary. We, we can only have one kingdom. That's the primary kingdom for us. You know, my favorite class I ever, I ever took was this class called Biblical Leadership, and it was uh, with a guy named Rick McKinley, who I've quoted a lot. Um, he's a pastor of Imago Day Church in Portland. And one time I submitted this paper to him about the church. I read a book with church in the title uh, somewhere back there. And basically what I did is I took all my ideas from one book and submitted this paper. I didn't really think through, like, what the book was talking about. I just said, oh, this guy's an expert, so I'm just going to um, put this out there. And uh, when I got the paper back, he had written it in big letters. He had written across the top, don't buy anything wholesale. Don't buy anything wholesale. Don't just buy something that a human made, like hook, line, and sinker. Um, 
And that was a learning moment for me. I realized that I had just taken in like the opinion of a supposed expert. And I just ran with that. And so what Rick was challenging me to do is like think through this through the lens of scripture, through the lens of Christ. Is what you believe, does it match up with, with what you know to be true about Jesus? And guys, I really think like we need a lot of discernment today. We need a lot of discernment today. We need to make sure that we're following Christ, that we're not following uh, another pastor or another leader, that we're not just following a political platform. Um, we need to not buy anything wholesale except for Jesus and his kingdom. And, and that's the point, is don't buy anything wholesale except Jesus and his kingdom. Let Jesus inform what you think and believe about the rest of it. Because it's tempting to get behind movements. It's tempting to get behind things that sound good. But are we testing everything that we hear with the truth and the love and the character of Jesus? Seriously, like, I would actually love some emails. Um, if you—I'm <laughs> just opening up the floodgates. Um, I would love it if after I preached, you guys, like, looked in the Word and were like, hey, Tyler, what about this? Or, you know, what about, what about this? Maybe you missed this. Like, I would be good with that because I would know you guys are testing what I say against Scripture. I am not infallible. I'm mostly infallible. I'm, I'm, ki I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, it, it's, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's possible. Um, no. But, but yeah, I would love, like, if, we, if, you, if you dove in and you're like, I don't know if this, this is right. Like, what are you doing up on, on stage talking? Um, but, but that's why we're reading through the New Testament this year. It's not just an arbitrary thing that we do. It's we're really saying, hey, we want to be formed by the truth of Jesus. We want to be, be formed by the truth of Scripture first, and we want that to be the lens through which we see everything else through. Because what if the truth of God was the main thing that shaped your life? What if the truth of God was the main thing that shaped your life? Jesus is the only constant. He's the only thing that won't change. What people cared about 25 years ago, they don't care about today. Nobody's reading newspapers from 1995, you know? Like, the things that we care about today will pass, but the one thing that is constant is that Jesus will always be Lord. Are we living for that? Because when we're fully bought in, we can talk about the secondary things without creating division. So we're going to end today. The worship team can come on up. Um, we're going to end today by focusing on this mission that brings us together. I want to close with this verse. Uh, Paul says in verse 18, he says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Like, this is really important. That for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So Paul says that if we get really excited about Jesus and the cross, people are going to look at that and say, that's stupid. Like, why would you give your life to that? Like, look at all these other things you could give your life to. And maybe that's sometimes why we have trouble talking to people about Jesus, because we're afraid to look stupid. I've definitely fought that battle before. Um, and so maybe it's easier to talk about all the drama going on in the world right now, but Paul is saying the only thing really worth talking about is the cross of Jesus. 
God the Son dying on a cross for us. That's the only thing worth talking about because it's only in that that has the power to save anyone. It's only in knowing Jesus, the God the Son who died for you, um, that, that can save the world. Everything else will fade away. Everything else will be thrown out like old newspapers. It's only Jesus that will last forever. So the question is, are we willing to look stupid together, right? That's, that's, the, that's a really good invitation right there. But that's how we change our city. We, we, we make the cross the main thing, like the message of the cross, because it's only the cross of Jesus that can change our city. It's only the cross of Jesus that can take a diverse group of people and make them family, and call us saints together. The cross can take a, a group of crazy mixed-up people and turn them into saints together. That only happens through the power of Jesus. And we have so much together. When we really love each other, uh, we have everything we need. We have all the, the gifts that we need. Everything that we could, we could possibly need for life in Christ, we have together. So I want you to think this week, okay, two things. How, how can I get my heart right? What do I need to do to get my heart right? And then is there somebody that I need to talk to? Like, is there some sort of division that shouldn't be there, um, but that I need to talk to? And this takes courage. Like, I had to talk to somebody this week that I didn't want to talk to about something that needed to be talked about, and I'll, I got nervous. I, got, I tried to talk myself out of, like, having, uh, uh, having this conversation, but, like, I'm so glad I did, even though it was uncomfortable. And sometimes that's what we have to do in order to preserve that unity. But it starts with making Christ our primary thing. Being okay with, with, with um, making the message of the cross of Jesus the main thing in your life.